Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? It's good to be here in the Dublin location in Blanchardstown, in the most comfiest seats you'll ever sit in the world. This is a blessed location. Honestly, you guys are not suffering enough. But hey, my name is Pastor Sam Corcoran. I'm the location pastor uh, of Navin, which I want to welcome in all our locations, Navin and Dundalk. Come on, Dublin, let's welcome our locations. Navin, my people, I love you. I miss you. Honestly, I can't be back with you next week, but uh, it's great to be here and with you through technology. And for Dundalk, many of you haven't uh, seen me yet, but I'm the location pastor in Navin. It's so good to be with you as well, with all the team, Rebecca and Julian and everyone there. But hey, many of you may not notice, but uh, my wife Sarah and I had the great privilege uh, back in October 1st in 2017 to launch this location. Now I want to know, if, you're, if you weren't there, where were you on October 1st, 2017? Because where we were, we launched this church here uh, on that great Sunday, and it was a massive privilege, it was a massive honor uh, of ours to be here, and we just want to thank our, our leaders, Jamie and Lud. Come on, put hands together for Jamie and Lud Miele, our pastors, for believing us in launching this location. Um, and, but I have some photos here behind me of what was the first Sunday like? Maybe you wonder, what was it like here in the beginning, back in the first Sunday when we launched? What are some photos here? That's my family, first of all, by the way. That's my beautiful wife, Sarah. Come on. And my three daughters, Hazel, Grace, Zoe, and Isabella. And uh, we are expecting our fourth, which is probably going to be a girl. Just going to say it as it is, okay? You can pray for me if you want. Come on, Navin and Doc. You can pray for me if you want. I would love a boy, uh, but a girl would be fine too. But Jamie's got four boys. I have potentially four girls. So you can guess who got more patience. You can guess who has more patience because I have girls. Um, but my beautiful family, I love them. Sarah right now is in Navin. She's leading the service today. Um, but uh, here's some photos of the first Sunday in Dublin when we launched um, it's a bit big, but there's Howe on his guitar in the room. Uh, next photo. Um, yeah, there's uh, a lady in the band. She's not here anymore. Olga, she's actually up in the north now, but she was part of our team. Uh, next photo. Uh, yeah, there's another photo of our Sunday. Keep going. Yeah, there's Rebecca in there leading the band in the beginning. There's myself, a good-looking, younger version of myself when we launched. Uh, but I just want to say something to you guys. This is my first time back here since 2018. And all I want to say, if for those who are part of this team, who are part of this location, you are living in the reality of yesterday's dreams. We sat here in 2016 and said, you know what, God, wouldn't it be amazing to launch a church here in Dublin and see it thrive every weekend? And you know, Sarah, my wife and I, we had seen Sundays here where we had at least the 20 people or two kids, but we still believed. We still believe that God is faithful, that he's going to build his church. So when we heard the Easter attendance here, and when I came in this morning and saw the three screens, honestly, it really encouraged me. It put a tear to my eye and reminded me of the prayers that we prayed, the sacrifices that were made in making this location hap happen. So I want to say thank you to all the Dream Team. Come on, for all the Dream Team here in Dublin and in Navin and, and, and Dundalk, thank you for being a part of God's plan and his mission to reach people in your areas. But hey, we are coming to the end of our series called Reassembly Required. Uh, for the last three weeks, you've been going on this journey and really talking about our relationships, not just your intimate ones, but those who are maybe in the workplace. Maybe it's some of your friends in college and school, maybe some of the pals on your football team, your rugby team, 
Wherever it may be, here's the thing. No matter who you are, no matter your background, maybe you're here today, you don't have faith, you don't know Jesus. We have at least this in common. We all have friends. We all have relationships. So if you go on this journey, really having this conversation and really asking the question, you know, what does it really mean to have healthy relations? What does it look like to have the kind of relationships in our lives, not just surviving, but are thriving? So we've been giving you some tools these last couple of weeks. If you missed that, you can go back online to our website, lighthousechurch.ie, and all the messages are there today. But this week, week three, I have titled A Game Changer for life. Everyone say a game changer for life. For life. Because what is life? Life exists of relationships. Think about it, right? Think about your life now and think about when once you die, who will be around you? Those who you love, those who love you. And I believe today as I give you some more tools that are going to help you, equip you, empower you to have not just relationships that are going to survive, but have relationships that thrive. So here's one thing we all have in common together when it comes to relationships. We all want to. We all want to have relationships that are healthy. We all want to. We all desire to have certain kind of relationships, with, maybe it's with our spouse, with our parents, with our kids, with our siblings, with our uh, colleagues. We all desire. We all want to have healthy relationships. It's something that we desire. And you may go, Sam, that's so true. Because often they don't happen and I don't know why, okay? But here's the thing, like I said, the reason why we want to have healthy relationships, because relationships outlive anything you'll ever own, anything you'll ever possess. Listen, you may you may get a promotion in work. You may get that pay rise. You may get the car. You may get the house. You may get all the materialistic things. But in the end of the day, the only thing that lasts are healthy relationships. I don't know about you, church. I don't know about you guys in other locations. That when I come to the end of my time in my life, all I want to say is, hey, I worked hard in developing relationships that have outlived anything else. Because once I pass on, it'll be my kids who will remember my relationship with them. It'll be my grandkids who will remember my relations with them. So this is so important. I know each one of us desire, we all want to have healthy relations. But here's the tension. Here's the disconnect. Here's where the wheels come off this thing, okay? We want to, we desire, we know it's important. But many of us just don't know how to. Don't know how to actually uh, uh, get or have healthy relationships. Many of you here maybe are married and you're struggling. It's a struggle. That's not how marriage should be. Marriage should be a joy. It should be a blessing. Yes, we argue. Yes, you go through tough times. But most importantly, you should enjoy your marriage. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe there's been a disconnect with your parents or with that parent, with that sibling, with that child. And just hasn't gone according to plan. You're thinking, gosh, I just wish I knew how to to handle this. I just wish I knew how to get, get better at these things called relationships. Here's something that I learned about my life. Maybe you're the same with me, but here's something I learned. We are good. We're all so good at starting relationships. I remember being a teenager. I remember looking back at my life. Remember when I was a young guy, I could, I could be friends with everybody. I was friends with everybody in my school. I was friends in, in our rugby team, in our soccer team, even in the chess team. I couldn't even play chess, people. I'm more of a checkers guy. Anyone with me playing checkers? I'm not smart enough for chess. All right, I just play checkers because all I know is there's two colors and you go this way or that way. That's all I need to know. Okay, I'm not smart enough for chess. But I, I, I had this a capacity to uh, start 
relationships. But as I got older, I realized something very quickly. I was very good at starting relationships, but here's where I, here, here's where I wasn't good at. I wasn't very good at maintaining them. Why? Because when it came to maintaining relationships, Navin and Dundalk, it takes work. It takes effort. It requires something of me and of you to maintain them. And I didn't know how or, or the, the tools to maintain healthy relations. It wasn't actually until I became a Christ follower, started reading scriptures and being in a place like this and hearing great messages like this, that it really helped develop the tools on my belt to have healthy relationships. But the, tra- the, the true reality for many of you, like, like myself today, is that we want to, we desire, we know how important they are, but often we just don't know how. So this whole series reassembly required is giving you the tools on your relational belt to help you not not just have healthy but maybe some some relationships have have broken maybe it's with a parent or with a friend or with a loved one that has broken but i believe if you are to apply what i teach you today it will be a game changer when it comes to restoring and reconciling with those who you love but here's the thing about relationships i was thinking about my, my own life you know when it comes to even my marriage with my wife when it comes to knowing how to love my wife, I only know, I only know what I have seen. I only know what I have seen. I can only love my wife and be a husband to her. I only, I only do the best I can because of what I have seen growing up. But I don't know about you, but maybe you grew up with a great parents, with great marriage. That was, that's good. But maybe you're here you didn't grow up in a healthy marriage. Maybe your parents weren't together. Maybe they divorced. Maybe they struggled. You know, and, and, all, and reality is, that's all you know. You only know what you've seen and maybe you're actually afraid to step into an intimate relationship because of what you've seen maybe you said you know what Sam marriage isn't for me because my parents marriage wasn't that great I just want to say that's not true that's not true or Sam I'm not going to be a dad or a mom because my parents were good to me that's not true you can be a better mom you can be a better husband better wife if you're willing to put the work in if you're willing to equip yourself with the tools that you need to not only develop but actually have thriving relationships okay but on my parents for example my mom and dad met each other very young 16 years of age they were two vagabonds two hippies who just loved living life on the edge my dad was a milkman and a musician not at the same time that would be weird right if he was playing instruments on a, on a milk milk cart and my mom came down from the north and lived down south and she had this very thick northern accent and can you imagine back in the 80s uh, with that that was a big no-no culturally so my mom already felt like an outcast so they met each other in these times and then they kind of got together and and what's kind of funny is this is actually I was going to laugh this my dad's a twin so my mom dated my dad's twin first and realized that he was boring because oh he's boring I'm gonna try the other one and she met my dad it's always weird at Christmas in my house knowing that my mom dated my uncle this is very weird okay but we move on we move on um but they met each other and uh, fast forward my dad was a musician my mom was a big part of that but then life went on and my parents started making some decisions that at the time they didn't think it would be very catastrophic to their future but they were they got involved with alcohol, with drugs, and with debt, and doing other things. And then fast forward, we're all raised into this. My brothers uh, are into this, you know what I mean? We, 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 we were part of their decisions. We are part of, of, of all that they knew when it came to their relationships. So I grew up, and I see my parents this way. I see my parents arguing, and they were very open with their fighting and their argument. So fast forward, I grew up, I'm always on the defense. Why? Because my parents were always defending each other. My parents were always fighting, trying to fight each other to see, not, not physically, 
my mom would kill my dad, but not physically, but verbally, they would argue, but it's always on the premise of, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, so we grew up seeing that all the time, that's all I knew, so when I start, meeting, when I start dating and I meet my wife Sarah, I, I, I go into this, this, with this stance into our marriage, like, hey, I'm going to fight my ground, because you know what, that's all I've seen, that's all I've known, I'm going to default into this posture of fighting for my ground, because for the first two years of our marriage, my wife and I's marriage, I was always defensive, I was always trying to fight my ground whenever my wife would, would critique me whenever she gave me feedback i was like hey stand back i know who i am i know what i'm doing don't critique me but that's not healthy that's all i knew that's all i saw and i wonder today what did you see what do you know and is it good is it healthy and maybe with today's teaching it might actually help you align to what is healthy and what is good okay so like i said we all have a default mode and when the going gets tough, when the going gets tough in, in our relationships, we, we, we were uh, uh, default uh, to only what we have known and what we have seen. We only default to what we've known and what we have seen. It's something that we do naturally. You notice when you're having your bad day, you're on your worst day, you're defaulting to actually what you've known and what you have seen. Next slide, guys. Thank you. Next slide. So default mode. Next slide. Perfect. Default. What is the default mode? Well, here's something I know and something that many of you know intuitively. The default mode is never actually positive. Because why? Because we're not well, something's wrong, we're reacting, we're defensive. The default mode is actually less helpful and more of a hindrance. It's less helpful and more of a hindrance. When we're, when we're trying to uh, defend our ground, we're trying to uh, be right, when we try start playing the blame game, quickly this default mode we have is, is less helpful and more of a hindrance. This may happen not just in your marriage, it can happen in your life, in your workplace. You know, you realize that, hey, I'm constantly defaulting into this mode, this posture that is not helping me and it's hindering me. And what are these two postures? What are these default modes that we often fall into together? And we all experience, come on, Navin and Dundalk, we always experience these default modes. No matter how perfect you may think you are, no one's perfect. The first one is this, the posture of blame. Who here loves the blame game? Everyone's really quiet. Here's what the blame game looks like. Look at this photo here. It's like a game of tennis. Do you ever get into an argument with your wife or with a friend and like 10 minutes later you forget why you're even arguing? <laughs> How do we get from walking into the house with dirty shoes from actually getting to, I regret marrying you, please leave? How do we go from here to there? Like, that's, that's quite extreme, babe. <laughs> or like, you know, like how, how did it get from there to here? And, and the blame game is something that really, really can be a toxic trait in our relationships. The blame game is basically a tennis match. It's a tennis match of blaming. And you know, I, I, here's the thing. Like I said, my first two years of marriage, I had this stance of trying to be defensive. So whenever I, my wife would say, that's wrong, I would say, no way, that's your fault. That's not my fault. That's your fault. I'm right. You're wrong. And the thing about the blame game is when, you're, when, you, when you can't handle the criticism or the constructive feedback from your loved ones or from your colleagues or from your employers, what happens is you put the blame back in them. But most times it comes back at you. So it's just a constant tennis match of just kind of pushing the blame to one another. A blaming person does three things. They deflect. They deflect responsibility. They deflect the reality of, hey, you made a mistake. You did this, so own up. And someone who defaults this posture will always constantly deflect the blame. No, that's not my fault. That wasn't me. I didn't do that. 
You know, the other day, actually, I found myself doing this. I was putting the, 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 the black bin, in the, the kind of black bag into the bin. And uh, let's just say I'm not good at that, okay? Don't judge me, okay? Don't judge me, guys. I'm not good at putting it in exactly. So sometimes the bin's kind of, you know, it's kind of hanging out. And yeah, just don't judge me, okay? But my wife, she, 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 over the years, she, we're married only 10 years. So she's giving me grace. She just, she, as long as the black bin bag's in the bin, she's happy. That's all she, that's all she cares about. But the other day... Uh, I, I did a terrible, terrible job. Honestly, I wasn't fully concentrating in it, okay? And she came in and she goes, oh, you know, what happened to the bin? And I go, it was my six-year-old daughter. It's her fault. I blame her. Hazel Grace, she didn't put the bin back properly. It's her fault. It wasn't me. Look, I would clearly do a better job than that. Hazel Grace, how bad are you? And she goes, Papa, that wasn't me. That was you. Shh. Shh. But here's the thing. We, we try to deflect the responsibility for the blame. Or we avoid we avoid people, we avoid conversations, we avoid situations because we know the blame's on us. We know the responsibility's on us. We know the onus is on us. So what would we do? We try to avoid people or avoid church or avoid that connect group or avoid that people. Why? Because you know you have messed up, but you don't have the maturity to take the blame. Why? Because it really was your fault. Number three, people who, who do the blame game actually are manipulators. There's something about people when they're in, a, in, in an unhealthy place, as they are, are retorting back to this unhealthy disposition, this posture of um, blaming, what happens is they actually begin to manipulate. Why? Because people who, who, who can't handle blame or, or blaming others, they really think they're always right. And when they're not right, they will come across as if they are right and they manipulate any situation just to prove, okay? Second uh, posture that can be uh, negative that we can often come to when we're not well or we don't know how to do relationships is the posture of pride. The posture of pride. Pride is the silent killer in our relationships. Do you know that when it comes to actually maintaining and thriving in our relationships, if there's pride in there, they will not last. Because here's the thing, Pride says it's about me. It's all about me, not about you. I, I, all I care about is my needs, my desires, my outcomes, not yours. That's not how relationships should be. Um, anyone here a gardener? Anyone like doing their gardens? Yeah, you all live in Ireland. I feel sorry for you because grass is terrible here. Most of our gardens are just full of weeds. Look at this photo here. Last summer, I uh, decided to tackle my garden. And, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm living in Dunshockland, County Mead. So it's halfway between Navin and Blanche. And uh, we, we got a nice new garden, and it's lovely. And I just automatically came to Suburban Dad, where I wash my car every Saturday morning, and I do the garden. And I don't even have a clue how to wash my car. I don't have a clue how to do my garden. I just thought, you know what, I'll YouTube and figure it out. And I realized I got a lot of these weeds. And here's the thing, I'm, I'm not a gardener. I don't know the difference between a weed or a rose. I actually thought, first of all, they look nice aesthetically. And my wife goes, Sam, they're actually not real flowers. They're actually weeds, and they're killing our gardens. Like, okay, thanks, babe, for reminding me. Because uh, I know I'm right and you're wrong all the time. Hey, you know. So, uh, but quickly I realized these are not good for my garden. So I went to Woody's. I bought weed killer. I got the mask on. I got the hazmat suit. I'm spraying all, all these pesticides and everything onto my grass. Try to get all these weeds away. And great. I thought it's fantastic. Fantastic. Grand, grand. I didn't read the instructions that actually I need to do this all the time. I need to do this like at least once a month. Because if not, they will grow back even more. I did it once last summer. And guess what? My whole garden is one big weed. That's all it is. My whole garden is one big weed. Why? Because I just assumed if I do it once, it'll be fine. No, no, no. The truck says you have to do it every month for a couple of months because you've got to keep tackling the root. And it's what pride like. Pride, uh, if pride sits on the throne of our heart, 
If pride is in the root of our heart, that's where the wheels falls off in these, in, on our relations. Why? Because if, if like, like weeds, if we don't deal with pride, if we don't deal with the issue in our heart, honestly, guys, it's so hard to thrive in healthy relations. Why? Because you, if you have pride in your heart, honestly, you notice if you have it, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about how you feel and how you look and how you want it. That's not how healthy relationships can thrive. So pride prevents us from forgiving from, from caring, from, from loving. When, and when we have pride, we communicate that the relationship is all about me. But no relationship can survive if we have these postures. If you have the posture of blame and pride, no relationship will survive. But there is hope. If you're here today and go, Sam, wow, you're really depressing me right now. Good. Because we do need to change this. You will not survive when it comes to relationships if you're doing these two things. But there is an alternative. If you're willing to put the work in, if you're willing to put the work in, you will, you will see that there is an alternative posture. There are alternative ways that will help you, not, not just uh, uh, survive, but thrive in your relationships. If we are to apply these and uh, postures I'm going to give you in a minute, and, and, and you can watch your relationships thrive. So where do these postures come from? Of course, you know, if we're here, you know, we're a church. And we believe in the scripture, we read from the Bible, it's God's word inspired and ordained to us. I read it every day, it's my manual for life. And if you're here and not a believer and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're on the fence, you're kind of thinking about what's going on. We really believe that the word of God is given to us to help us live life. The, the word of God is as relevant today as ever it was written. The word of God, he, God speaks through his word to us every single day. And today my whole teaching comes from the word of God. And you know what? You don't have, you don't have to actually have faith or to believe in God to apply what I'm going to give you today. So please, if you're here, lean in, listen to what I have for you. Because you know, and I know you desire to have healthy relationships. And today what I'm going to give you, if you were to apply them, I also believe for you, your relationships will thrive. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 to 20 second corinthians uh, chapter 5 verse 18 20. this is this is in the new testament we got one and two corinthians they were written by the apostle paul um the apostle paul was writing to the church in corinth which is in uh, greece and uh, he is writing to, to to corinth because corinth really was an interesting place actually corinth at the time Looks a lot like look like looks like a lot like Dublin right now. Dublin is just this melting pot of culture and of people and of art and of music and industry and technology. Dublin is just this great city to be in because it's just you get all expressions and all nuances. And back at this time in Corinth, when the church planted there, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church with clear instructions how to be Christ followers in a city that is godless, how to be a church and reach people for God where they don't even care about God. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter to the church to really encourage them, equip them, and help them basically build and establish relationships that will lead people to Christ in Corinth. So he's writing in this chapter 5 all about how when you become a Christ follower, when you give your life to Jesus, you change. You become a new creation, it says in the Bible. You become a new person. And if you become a Christ follower, you know this. You know, you look back at your life, you go, Sam, if you only knew who I was before I became a Christ follower, and look, and look at me now, I go, that's exactly what the Bible says. We become new people. We become a new creation. And Apostle Paul is talking about in this chapter about, but as we become new people, we have to live differently. 
We have to love differently. We have to treat people differently. We have to know how, what it means to love like God loves and, and, and do life like God would do as if he was here. So, so Paul instructs the church and us today how to love people when often they don't love us back. How to uh, have the kind of relationships that are not just surviving but thriving. So here we are in verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Okay, He says this, all this is from, come on, all locations, all this is from? God. So Apostle Paul said, this is different. This is, this is not of the world. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul saying here, hey, this, this kind of love, the way we are supposed to live is not of this world, but of God. The, the, the new, there's a new standard. There's a new criteria. There's a new method, okay? If the way you live before Christ, you got away with those things. You could get away with blame and pride. But the moment you become a Christ follower, the moment you say, okay, God, I want to live for you, everything changes. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, this is not of this world, but this is of God. God has given us a new standard, a new way to love people, a new way to lead people into his promises. And as we see in this, in this verse, it talks about how God reconciled himself to us. Now you got to remember, okay, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, don't know your Bible. There was a time way back in the beginning when God created us, creation, Adam and Eve were in the garden. We were chilling, we were having fun, we we're killing weeds. Maybe there was no weeds because weeds are definitely sinful. But there were probably nice roses in that garden, okay? And they were just doing their thing, living with God. And of course, the Satan enters in, the fallen angel, as a serpent, deceives Eve to take the, uh, the fruit, uh, and then basically she eats it, and so does Adam, and sin enters the world. In that moment then, there was a disconnect. There was a wedge. There was a gap between God and humanity, okay? But then, okay, here's what happened next. God reconciles us to him by sending his son, Jesus. God closes the gap, right? But if God was to love like we love of this world, if God was to treat us as if we are, are treating people in this world, God would have every right to blame you. God would say, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my mercy. You, 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 you abandoned me. You know what I mean? You're not loyal to me. You, no, you, you choose the ways of the world and the ways of sin over me. So why would I, God can just blame you all day. God would just throw all these tennis balls of blame at you. It's all your fault. You don't deserve me. I'm God. You're humanity. Ha ha. I'm going to stay in heaven, do my thing. You're going to stay in earth and just, 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 just die. That's all you're going to do. No, no. That's not what God did. Okay? Even though he didn't deserve it. Even though we didn't deserve it, yet God did it anyway. What did he do? He reconciled us. What does that word reconcile? God restored back to what was the original plan, which was for us to be in community with him, for you and I to be in proximity to him. So even though, even though we deserve it and the blame is on us, God still did something. God took the first step, even though we weren't willing to do it at all. God said, hey, I'm, I'm going to take this first step I'm going to reconcile you to me. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we know we're, 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 we're in a bad place, God still did it. And here's the thing. If you're here today. Maybe you come to church this morning. Maybe someone invited you here this morning. Maybe you, you saw it online. And you're coming here and you go, Sam, I'm going through a difficult time. I'm doing some terrible things. How could God ever love me? That's the point. God did it anyway. God sent his son anyway. Listen, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you. And this is why we see it demonstrated. Because even though we didn't deserve it, God still sent his son 
anyway. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, all you have to do is just to believe in that truth and receive him because he has done it anyway. So this is how God does it. Then here's a question I want to ask you today. Why would we treat those in our relationships differently then? Why wouldn't we be as merciful? Why wouldn't we be as graceful or as patient or as kind to those in our life? Why? And look, if you're a Christ follower, listen to me very carefully. This is for you because you're living a different life now. You're a new creation. Why? Why is it okay that you receive all this love, mercy, and grace from God, but you can't show it to your wife, to your husband, to your kids? to your friends, to your colleagues? Why is it okay that you have all this rich blessings, but at the same time, you're doing something different? That's not okay. That's not okay. And in verse 19, continue on, Paul says, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, okay? God had every right, God had every right to demonstrate how right he was by doing nothing. Listen to me, Navin and Doc. God had every right to do nothing. He could have sat on his throne in heaven and said, you know what, these people don't deserve me. God had every right to do nothing, but he did something. He made the first step and he sent his son, Jesus. And most importantly, God, God didn't allow the, the, the weight of our sins to be the barrier between us and him. God didn't say, oh yeah, okay, only if they were to do this, only if they would get themselves ready for me, if they were perfect people, and if they didn't do any harm, if they did, you know, did all these nice things, only then will maybe I send my son Jesus, only then will I actually do something for him. That's not true. It's not true. We see here that God did not allow the weight of our sins to be the barrier. Between us and him. Actually, the person who broke that barrier was his son, Jesus. So here's the thing. No matter what you've done, no matter what, what you've gone through, what you're going through, what you will do, God has already sent his son for all those sins. God has already reconciled him, us unto him because of his son, Jesus. You can't change that. You cannot change the reality of what God has already done for us. And, and, and here's the thing about being a Christ follower. All we got to do is just receive it. Receive him and say, God, I'm going to live for you because you have reconciled me unto you. Because you sent your son. So if you're a Christ follower, listen very carefully. You have received this grace and all this and all the truths and the blessings and, and the mercy that we don't deserve. Then why, why do we, next slide, why do we use other people's mistakes as a barrier against them? Why do we allow blame and pride to take over our heart and be a barrier against people who are just as foolish as we are? Just as broken as we are? Just as sinful as we are? Why is it okay that we would say, oh yeah, God has forgiven me for all my sins and that one person in your life has made one mistake and you're holding it against them? Maybe they owe you money. Maybe they've done something. Maybe they've said something. Maybe they, 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 they haven't done anything at all. Maybe, maybe just that you, 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 there's something in your heart against them. And it is a barrier. It is a barrier from you, from you to love them, to treat them well, to show the kind of grace and love that God has for them. Why do we use other people's mistakes, their sins, as barriers from us loving them? Because here's the thing. You can never restore or reconcile uh, a relationship unless their barrier is taken away. Verse 20, the Apostle Paul says this. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you're here today and you're Christ follower, pay attention. Have it here in big yellow writing. You can't miss it. Pay attention to this truth. Paul said that we are Christ's ambassadors. So when you see an embassy, or maybe here you, got, you see an American embassy, you got the Armenian embassy, uh, you got other nationalities here. But if you're from those countries, you know that if you were to go to that embassy, that is home. That is a patch of your home. If you go there and, and you get all your papers done, your legal work, maybe it's passports, you know when you go in there, you're going to meet your people, your language, your culture, your tradition. Because that is an embassy, okay? That's where you can go back and you can relate people there. People can understand you and vice versa because it's your people. It's your country, okay? When I go abroad and I go to an Irish embassy, it's the exact same thing. I always see an, an Irish lad. And you know what? Here's how I spot an Irish lad. By his head. There's just lads, you just know he's Irish by his head. And he's always going to wear GEA shorts. No matter where he is, he's wearing GEA shorts, okay? We were in Portugal in January. Like, literally, Portugal and Algarve, no one's there. It's really quiet. Have a nice time. What do we see? Six, six Irish lads with the bowled haircuts, like, like myself, the bowled haircuts, and GEA shorts. And they're all having the crack. That's just funny, anyway. That's how you know our people. But if you're a Christ follower, pay attention. Because Paul says we are ambassadors. In every relationship, where you work, where you walk, where you do life, your home, everything you do, you are an ambassador of Christ. Not of this world, but of Christ. So the standards of how you live and love are not of the world's embassy, but of Christ's embassy. You, you are a reflection of him. Wherever you go, how you love, how you treat is a reflection of Christ. We are ambassadors. See, God reconciled you. God saved you. God sent his son for you so we can reconcile others to him. God, God, God reconciled us to him, but he doesn't stop there. Why? Because when, the moment we come to follow Christ, then it changes. Now we have to now go uh, on behalf of God as ambassadors to reconcile others to him. More importantly, God reconciled you so you can reconcile relationships. God has given you all that you need to restore and reconcile those relationships that have been broken. God's, God has given you the strength and all that you need through the Holy Spirit to be an ambassador of Christ, to live differently, to love differently. Jesus says in, 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 in the Gospels, this is how people will know that you are my disciples. Not by what you wear, not by how you talk, not by how you walk, but by how you love. Love. How you, how you do relations. People will see that you are different because you love differently to the world's love. And when, when God's love, there's no room for blame or pride. In God's ways, no room for those things. That's why it's a default mode. It's actually it's a default mode of what we go back into when we're not listening or following God. That's why we always say here, following Jesus makes us better at life and also makes our life better. When we have Jesus at the center of our life, everything changes. Doesn't mean it's easier. No, 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 it doesn't get easier. It gets more harder. But we know that when we follow Jesus, he makes us better at life. Listen to me, Dublin, all locations. I'm a husband and I'm a father. 
And by the grace of God, I get to be the husband and the father that I am to my wife and my kids. Because they do not deserve the old Sam. They don't deserve the, the angry, prideful, blameful man that I was. My wife and my children deserve the man that I am today. The man who is an ambassador for Christ, who puts him at the center. Listen, parents, fathers and mothers. Your children need you to be ambassadors for Christ. Siblings, you need to keep unity amongst other as, as siblings of a family in this country, in this world. You need to stand side by side as ambassadors of Christ. As you go to work, as you go to college, it's so important that you stand with this truth. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I, I'm going to live differently. I am reconciled to God so I can reconcile others to him and also to me. Apostle Paul is saying, you're to live differently. You are differently. You are an ambassador of Christ. So, what are the alternative postures to blame and pride? What can we apply to that's going to help us add to our tool belt, not just have relationships that are surviving, but those that are thriving? Number one is humility. 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 Blame says this. I'm right, you're... Come on. I'm right, you're... That's what blame says. When we, when we play the, the game of tennis of blame, we're all within, I'm right, you're wrong. But humility says, I want to make this right. Here's the thing, you can be right all day. You can be right every second of your life. But you can write someone right out your life too at the same time. That relationship, that marriage, that, that connection can be destroyed because you're always right. But here's the thing, here's what it means to be an ambassador Here's what it means to be a Christ follower and live differently. That, hey, in every relationship that I have, I want to make this right. I want to make it right. Because it's not enough just being right. I want to make it right. Why? Because the relationship is far more important than me being right. It's not worth it. At the end of the day, it's not worth it. You can go to your grave and be right, but no one will be there at, with, at, at your grave when you're dead. It's better to actually say, no, I'm going I'm to live a life of humility. I'm going to live a life of humility. And what is humility? Humility isn't just you being a doormat and, and let everyone walk over you. No, no. Humility is just li literally living a life and putting others before you. Humility looks like this. When you're in the queue and you know there's people behind you, you say, hey, go ahead. I'm not in a rush. I'm not going anywhere. Go ahead. That's just those little actions are saying, you know what? Even though I get to be in the queue, I get to put my shop on first. Hey, go ahead. Go, no, I'm not, I'm, no problem. Go ahead. Humility is saying, I, I want to make this right. And I wonder today, for someone in this room, in all our locations, what do you want to make right? Which relationship do you have to make right? And will you drop the pride and, and, and blame game? And will you actually become humble and actually see those relationships restored? So the first alternative posture is humility. Number two. Number two. Oh, sorry. This is great. Personal pronoun. Our personal pronoun. I want to give you a new personal pronoun. You know, before I got married, I asked my dad, could I, uh, I, don't know, I don't know why I asked him, because I was going to get married anyway. I, I, I told him I was going to get married. I, asked him, I rang my dad, I said, Dad, I want to get married. And I, was, I was 19. He's a cool son. He got money. He said, no. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I want to get married. He goes, okay. And then, he, then, he, and then so we're chatting, and he, all of a sudden, dad, dad goes, say, Sam, say sorry. I was like, what? He goes, Sam, say sorry. No, no, what do you mean, Dad? No. He goes, say sorry. He's like, no, I'm not saying sorry. Why? Tell me. And for like a solid five minutes, my dad was trying to force me to say sorry. I got really angry. I was like, dad, why are you making me say sorry? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm good. I'm doing wrong. And he, and then he just said, 
and, and then, you know, when, when your fathers go into their tone, you kind of you listen. He goes, Sam, say sorry. They go, oh, okay. Sorry, Dad. And there's like a moment of pause. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Moment of pause. And he goes, now you're ready for marriage. It's like, what do you mean? He goes, the quicker you learn, you learn to say sorry, the better your marriage will be. I've lived by this personal pronoun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there's a difference between saying like, oh, sorry, babe. Oh, sorry, babe. No, I'm me. It's Mr. Sam. I'm sorry for my mistake. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry that I disrespected you, that I hurt you. I said those things. I'm sorry because you know what? I want to make this right. I don't want to be right. I want to make this right so I'm sorry. For some of us today, we have to learn that new personal pronoun. Not sorry, or I won't do it again. My bad. No cap. All chill. Don't worry. Yeah. No, no. I'm sorry. Are two words that we can learn very quickly. That will help in a lot of relationships. Second one is forgiveness. The thing about forgiveness is this. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, if unforgiveness has rooted in our hearts, it is very difficult to love people. Especially those who we have unforgiveness to. And, and, and here, I don't know what has happened to you. Maybe some terrible things have happened to you. And those people do not deserve your time or your moment or, or even your forgiveness. But here's the thing. Christ died for all of us while we were still sinners. And that moment on the cross, as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, as, he's just, as he was there and all this has happened, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus had the capacity to forgive the very people who were murdering him. And now we're called to be Christ's ambassadors. We're called to like him. Hold on, Lord. I don't think I can forgive those who want to murder me, Lord. Not today, God. Thank you. But he did. And because God knew it takes forgiveness to, to, to break the gap between the, those who've hurt you and, for, and, for, and how you can love them. So today... Forgiveness is, is a posture I want us to develop and add it to our two belt. Because, hey, forgiveness does not mean you're going to be best friends with that person. Doesn't, no, no, forgiveness is you making a decision in your heart. I have forgiven them. I'm making this right, even though they don't deserve it. Okay? Uh, like God took the first step to forgive you, how can you take the first step in forgiving someone? How can you remove pride out of your heart and say, you know what, Sam? I'm going to ask God for the strength to just... To help me forgive that person. Why? Because I'm struggling to love that person because of unforgiveness. I'm struggling, so I'm going to ask God to help me. When pride is removed from our relationships, we have the opportunity to reconcile what was what once was. You don't, you don't know what God's going to do. You don't know the plan God has for your relationships. But when we take that first step into reconciling, you could be so surprised. And if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower and you don't know God, this is for you too. Maybe there's people in your life who've hurt you, who've done things to you, and they don't deserve your forgiveness. 
And you can't even fathom the reality of forgiving them. But when you understand the mercy and the grace of God and how he's forgiven you, and when you receive that forgiveness, all of a sudden you see people differently. You see relationships differently. Why? Because you have been forgiven for everything. We forgive because we are forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. And if you're here and you're, and you're married especially, love keeps no records of wrongs. Marriage is not about one up on each other and having a list of what they've done wrong. Marriage is a race to the back of the line. Marriage is saying, hey, I'm going to serve my spouse. I'm going to love them. I'm going to forgive them. And there are, listen to me, I know this. I'm married 10 years now. There are times where it is hard to forgive. But if you really want this relationship to work, if you really want to see it thrive, you have to forgive. You have to forgive and go on this journey of reconciliation. So as we come to the end of the message, there's two decisions that you need to make today. In Navin and Dundalk, here in Dublin, there's two decisions that you need to make today. Despite your belief, your faith, your, your, your background, if you make these two decisions today, I truly believe they are a game changer for life. They are a game changer for your relations. The first decision is this. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will take the first step to reconciliation regardless of who moved away first. I'm not going to sit here with my arms crossed and blame that person and have pride in my heart and say, oh, how they don't deserve me or my love or my time. Oh, how bad are they? They should not have a moment of my time. You can do that all day long. You can be right. But you won't have healthy relationships. Where actually, if you decide this today, I will make the first move regardless who moved away first. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to strive to make things right. In every relationship, I'm going to, I'm going to adapt this posture that I'm always going to make the first move. I'm always going to take the first step. Because this relationship is far more important than me being right or wrong. This 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 thing that I have with my family, with my wife, with my friends and my colleagues, it's far more important than being right all the time. So I wonder today, church, all locations, I wonder today, where can you take the first step? Which relationship requires you taking the first step, regardless of who stepped away first? Because it is God's desire and God's design that we live in peace with people. God would want us to demonstrate, or to, uh, to dem God would want us to emulate what He demonstrated to us by sending His Son as He took the first step. Second decision you make today is this I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. Meaning, I'm not going to allow unforgiveness to take root anymore. I'm not going to allow the, the blame game and all these things just to get in the way of people. I'm not going to shut my life away. I'm not going to close the door off to the relationships. I'm going to leave the door open and let the welcome mat out. That person may never walk by your door. They may never walk through your front door onto your, onto your mat. 
because you know your heart and you know your posture and you know your God and you know that you're an ambassador of Christ. You're going to choose to live this way. And if you do, you'd be so surprised how God would use you. You'd be so surprised that when you live a life open for others, willing to love and serve others, you'd be so surprised how God would use the decision that you make to bring change to your family, to your children, to your community, to the city of Dublin, and to the nation of Ireland. But a church cannot grow. We can't grow this church if we have a bunch of Christians who have hearts closed and mats taken away. The church only grows when we have Christians who understand their assignment. That I'm an ambassador of Christ. I don't live as the world lives. I live as God has taught me to live. I follow him. These two decisions are so important. Along with humility and, and, and forgiveness, if you add these to your tool belt, I honestly believe, I honestly believe, it will help your relationships. So, we said in this series that we don't want you to have no regrets. We don't want you to have any regrets. We want you to take the first step. We want you to, to, to be the one who takes the first step into reconciling, into, into you know, trying all you can try in, 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 again, restoring those broken relationships or keeping the current relationships you have healthy. But as we finish off today, I want you to think about that relationship. You know it right now. I know you know it. That one relationship that you know that has broken down. And you know it's bad. And for many of you, you go, Sam, there's, there's no hope. There's no way. There's no way of ever restoring it or, or getting back to where it, where it was. I wouldn't even worry about that. I wouldn't worry about you just taking the first step. Taking the first step to applying these two postures, humility and forgiveness. And if you're here today you don't know Jesus, your first step is this. If you're here and you don't know God, your first step is this. is to surrender your life to him. And know that he took the first step. He sent his son. No matter the sins, no matter how heavy they may be, or how amount of them they could be, God sent his son, Jesus. All we have to do is receive him. Receive him. We say, we confess with our lips the sins that we've done and we believe in our heart that Jesus loves me. I want to follow him. That is how you become saved. That's how we follow Jesus. I invite you to stand in all locations with me right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for your relationships. I just want to challenge you as you go about your day today and into the week. I want you to think about this. I want you to really think about this message, this whole series, Reassembly Required. I want you to think, how can I, how can I take the first step? How can I have humility and forgiveness in my heart? How can I develop healthy, thriving relationships? How can I be an ambassador for Christ in my home, in my workplace, in my school, in my college, wherever we may go? Thank you.